We hear quite a bit about temptations in our readings this morning. The first temptation ever was, did God really say? Did God really say you shouldn't eat from that tree? Why that tree? Just that tree. And Jesus was tempted in different ways. Maybe he could satiate his hunger by turning stones to bread. He could show his glory by plunging from the temple. He could acquire the earth by worshiping the prince of this world rather than purchasing the world with his suffering and his death. These temptations can seem rather distant and inapplicable to us. Not a single one of us has been tempted with the exact particulars of any of these temptations. None of us have had to choose whether to eat from a certain tree, put on display our miraculous powers by changing stones to bread, and so on. And yet there is something that draws these temptations together. All temptations seem to strike out against the goodness and faithfulness of God. It seems to be the lie that is beneath the temptations. That is, God isn't good. God isn't trustworthy. So you better see to it yourself, regardless of his wishes. Let's briefly see if this is so with the temptations we've heard about today. Adam and Eve weren't originally concerned about whether God was good to them or faithful to them until the ideal was introduced to them that God just might be holding out on them. Adam and Eve didn't really have anything to complain about when they were created. They were creatures. God was God. They lived as the creatures God created them to be. They had but one command, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The serpent got them thinking, well, why shouldn't we? There must be some reason. The command, the serpent figured, couldn't have been for Adam and Eve's good. It must be because God is stingy and jealous of his prerogatives. He's a tyrant who wants to keep humanity as his slaves, keep them stupid. Don't let them know the difference between good and evil. If only Adam and Eve were to eat from this tree, then they would become like God. They would know good and evil. And so the real meat and substance of Adam and Eve's sin is what they came to believe about God. They came to believe that God wasn't good, that God wasn't for them, but against them. So they had to see to it themselves. The same thing is true with Jesus' temptations. He had been kicked out into the wilderness to be miserable and perhaps even starve. Turn these stones into bread then. But Jesus answered, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. If Jesus threw himself off the temple, then he could test whether God's word was true, and then the angels would catch him. He would know if God loved him. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The final temptation can only be understood with the awfulness of Jesus' passion, firmly kept in mind. 
bow down and worship me is the most direct and blatant and almost ridiculous sounding temptation. But that had to have sounded a whole lot easier to Jesus than the difficult, basically impossible road that Jesus knew lay ahead of him. Beneath these temptations lay the question, is God for you or against you? Can he be trusted or should you see to things yourself? Are you happy or not? Perhaps you've learned in your catechism instruction that a sin against any of the other of the Ten Commandments is also a sin against the First Commandment. The First Commandment is that you shall have no other gods, and that means that we should fear, love, and trust in God no matter what. Temptations to break any of the other commandments also strike out against this first commandment. So, for example, the second commandment requires us to use God's name rightly. A temptation here is to wonder, well, what good is that going to do me? I don't need to pray. I need to work. I don't need to praise or give thanks to God. What good is that going to do me? I need to plan and train I don't need to gather with other believers for praying, praising, and giving thanks. I have better things to do. God won't help me through these things, even though he has promised to do so. I can better help myself. Or take the fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother. I don't need to do that. I won't be blessed by God for doing that. Plus, I don't want to. They command me to do things I don't want to do. Or take the sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. There's an old country and western song that croons, heaven's just a sin away, heaven's just a sin away. Commit adultery and you'll have heavenly pleasure. God won't help me find a spouse if I don't have one. Or the spouse that he gave me is no good. Another one is what will make me happy. Behind every temptation, and the most awful thing about every subsequent sin, is that judgment against God. God's no good. God's commands are no good. God's commands destroy happiness or they keep one from happiness. They're not what I want to do. The commands are impossible to keep, so that's not very good. That's stupid on God's part. Common sense tells us that good laws are ones that you can actually keep. There are also judgments against God's promises. God promises to bless all those who keep his commandments. But the temptation says that that's not true. You won't be blessed by keeping his commandments. You'll be miserable. Plus, you'll never make it because the nature of temptation is that it sticks around until you scratch the itch. So you're going to give in anyway, might as well just give in. And then think of the life that Jesus tells us that we should live. Do you want to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus? Does that sound like fun? Does it look like Jesus was having fun? Well, then why do it? 
Plus, there's that rather common and even academically fashionable opinion, maybe God doesn't even exist. Maybe God's not real. Did God really say? Well, maybe there's not even a God who can say. Temptations abound. And there is only one thing that can help in the midst of these temptations, and it's a simple answer, it's a Sunday school answer, and thus it is easily despised, and that is that the only thing that can help is God's word. Adam and Eve notably failed to return to the simple, not at all hard to understand word of the Lord. Don't eat from that tree. Jesus, perhaps you noticed, answered all three temptations with, It is written. The word of God is the indispensable thing for knowing what is going on. The word of God is indispensable for correctly understanding what your life is for and what it's all about. So, what is that? What I'm saying to you about your life is that it is a battle against temptation and the devil. That's your life. You are constantly being tempted to sin against the Ten Commandments and to abandon the station in life that God has given to you. I know without a shadow of a doubt that by being obedient and faithful, you will be blessed. I know without a shadow of a doubt that you will be blessed by being obedient and faithful even if God's heavy hand is placed upon you so as to crush you, if he should send all kinds of pain and all kinds of sadness upon you. I know that you will be blessed. I know it with 100% certainty. But I can't know that apart from what God has said in his word. Without God's word, our life must inevitably be understood in different terms than being a battle against temptation and the devil. Without God's word, life might be understood, for example, as the pursuit of happiness. What makes me happy? Surely not following God's commands. What makes me happy is fulfilling my own desires. More money, more sex, More honor, more dopamine, more stimulants. Plus, we don't want any pain. We don't want to have sweat on our brow. So let's get rid of anything that might cause that. What can be easier than falling into thinking about one's life along such lines? This is even what we prefer to do when we envision our life. It's what we want. We want to be deceived about what life really is. We want to believe that it doesn't matter if we keep God's commands or believe his promises. We want to believe that we know what is good and what is evil. In fact, that's an easy one. What's good is whatever's good for me. What's evil is whatever isn't good for me. And with that knowledge firmly in hand as kind of the basic requirement of life, It follows that really one should never forgive and never give in and never serve and never sacrifice 
and never suffer. Live each day as if you mattered most. And let the others do whatever they want. Again, nobody has to teach us this way to live. This is the way we want to live. It's only God's word that can tell us anything different. Life is a battle against temptation and the devil. And our sinful flesh, unfortunately, always thinks that the devil sounds more reasonable than God does. It is a battle to believe that God is for us and not against us. God is good, even if the earth should give way and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. One of the most important passages in the Bible says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God, his promise that God was good, that God was for him, and it was credited to him as righteousness. We are justified by faith in God's promises. We are justified by faith in God's goodness. God's promise to us is that because of Jesus, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For the Lord, your shepherd, he is with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. God is for you. It is inevitable that you be tempted, contrary to that, You're tempted every day. And not only have you been tempted, but you've fallen for that temptation, and you've sinned. And understand that according to what we've talked about today, your falling for that temptation and sin is not just a sin against this or that commandment, it is also a sin against the first commandment. Whenever you give in to any temptation, you are also, at the same time, making horrendous judgments against God, even if those judgments be made unwittingly. In fact, the devil wants to keep us doing these things unwittingly. When you sin, you're saying that God is foolish, or that he is non-existent, or that he lies, or that he's untrustworthy, or any number of other evil things. Sins against commandments, such as the second or the third, might not even bother your conscience. But that only shows how leprous and unfeeling your soul has become. But my answer to your sin is not that you had better get busy fixing yourself. How I'd like to respond actually strikes at the root of temptation. Instead of your stupid judgments and thoughts about God, I can tell you quite plainly that God is good. I can even say that God is for you and not against you. You might not believe that, but I don't care. Your unbelief doesn't change who God is or what he has done. God is good. God is for you even. God justifies you. God forgives you. Now, I wouldn't dare say these things on my own. To say something like that is admittedly extreme. What I've just said to you is admittedly extreme, especially when you consider all those temptations that you've heeded 
and thereby made horrendous judgments against this very same God. Nevertheless, I can say these things to you because it's what God's word says. And this is laid out so very nicely in our epistle lesson that I think you can grasp it. You can grasp what Paul is saying like a little child. So Paul talks about two great historical figures, and he compares them and contrasts them. And the one figure is Adam, and the other is Jesus Christ. Paul says, through Adam, sin came into the world, and through sin came death. And that death is spread over all mankind. If ever you should doubt the power of Adam's fall, all you need to do is consider the pall of death that hangs over all people, together with the decay and the disintegration that leads up to our death. Adam brought disaster. That's the one thing, Paul says. In like manner, Paul says, Jesus is one whose effect extends to all. In that way, he's like Adam. Adam changed everything, bringing death all over the place. Paul says, likewise, Jesus has changed everything. But instead of Adam's sin and death, Jesus brings justification before God and eternal life. So, as Paul says, just as one trespass led to a verdict of condemnation for all people, so also one righteous verdict led to life-giving justification for all people. Condemnation came upon all people in Adam by the righteous verdict that was rendered in the sacrificial death of Jesus Life-giving justification, righteousness before God, is bestowed upon all people. Adam changed everything for all people. Jesus changed everything for all people. Being justified means that you are right and good. That is to say, when you are justified, God is for you and not against you. No one needs ever doubt about this will of God because of Jesus and what he has done. Jesus' good work of redemption and justification stands as solid as a rock, even if your sins be like scarlet. Knowing this truth about God, knowing that God has forgiven you and justified you, that he is for you and not against you, you can now turn away from what is always beneath the devil's temptations. The devil would have you believe that God is not for you. You have to do it yourself, by hook or by crook. You dare not ever give up on your claims. Nobody will ever give you anything, but you have to take it. God probably doesn't even exist, so why be bothered by his commandments? And so on and so forth. These are all lies. The truth is that God does exist, his commands and promises never fail. And the most outstanding and almost unbelievable thing, taught only by God's word, is that God is for you. God forgives you. Just as in Adam's fall all mankind fell, so also in Jesus Christ righteousness and justification extends to all people. And if that righteousness and justification extends to all people, well then, that means that it extends to you too, O sinner. God is good. God is for you. God has done this. 
The peace of God that transcends all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.